All right, let's look at our scripture, which is John 5, 30 through 47. can be found on the back of the bulletin or on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The word of the Lord. Well, from time to time, I like to check on the intellectual acumen of my congregation to see how intelligent and wise you are, because then I can figure out what sort of level of sermon I can preach. And so I've, I've, I've conducted a, a short series of questions that I have to see if you can answer these three questions uh, before I launch into my sermon and they're, they're very basic questions. Just about everybody knows them. Number one, what is the largest snail in the world? The largest snail in the world. Well, of course, that is the Australian trumpet snail. Of course. Three feet long, 40 pounds. Yes, three feet long. I wouldn't want to meet that snail in a dark alley. Let's put it that way. The fastest turtle on land. The fastest turtle on land. Anyone... Well, of course, that would be the soft shell turtle because it has a soft shell, but you already knew that. It's a lighter shell, which can reach blistering speeds up to three miles an hour. And the final question, the average lifespan of a macaw parrot. The average lifespan. I heard uh, several notes, but of course, the right answer, which you already knew, is 50 years. The average lifespan of a macaw parrot, 50 years. Seeing that you all have failed miserably uh, in this particular test, I'm going to adjust my sermon accordingly. <laughs> you know, the most important thing in the world is not to have an answer about these particular questions. But the most important thing in the world is to have a correct understanding of who Jesus is. There's one question we have to be able to answer. It is, who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's providing evidence 
to an unbelieving world. And he provides this evidence in the form of witnesses. There's witness testimony, if you will, that Jesus provides to us so that we would know that he is who he says he is, that he is the Lord. The world doesn't want to examine the testimonies, the witnesses to Jesus Christ, but we must examine, we must look at the evidence, because if there's one thing we have to know in this world, it is who is Jesus. So we're going to look at the evidence provided by Jesus here. We're going to look at three particular things. Number one, we're going to look at the witnesses that Jesus calls to give evidence and testimony about him. Number two, we're going to look at the purpose of these witnesses. What does it mean that there's this witness testimony? What does that lead us to? What's the conclusion that we can draw? And finally, what is the alternative? Number three, what is the alternative of not believing these witnesses? So let's begin with point number one, the witnesses that Jesus calls to give testimony about himself. Jesus begins in verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But what is Jesus talking about? If Jesus' testimony, of course, is true. But he's speaking about a court of law. And in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, the law of Moses, it said, let every manner be established by uh, a testimony of at least two witnesses. And so Jesus is saying that I'm going to call some witnesses to give testimony about myself. And he actually calls four different witnesses. The first one that he calls is John the Baptist. Verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Remember that John was the one sent into the world to herald the coming of Jesus Christ. John said, among you stands one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And when he saw Jesus Christ, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1.32 puts it this way. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist testified and gave witness to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. In other words, Jesus does not really need validation from anyone to carry out his mission and his identity. But he gives this testimony about the witness of John for us, that we would remember that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus said, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist was extremely popular in Israel at the time. People flocked to him in this Old Testament style as a prophet who was heralding the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet when he pointed at Jesus Christ and said, look, the Lamb of God, this is the one who I testify as the Son of God, they refused to recognize him. So the first witness that Jesus called was John the Baptist. And the second witness that Jesus calls in this passage is the works that he is doing. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. 
There's no one that has ever done and will ever do the amazing works that Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ opened the eyes of the blind. He made the paralyzed walk. He healed those with the incurable disease of leprosy. He even raised the dead. Jesus did amazing things to give testimony, to bear witness that he, in fact, was the one sent from the Father. All that Jesus does is nothing more and nothing, and nothing less than what the Father gives him to do. The works he does are thus divine. They are the very works of God. When we see Jesus working and Jesus doing these miracles, they're the very works of God the Father who has given him this work to do. I mean, when we think about it, why is Jesus so highly regarded now? Even atheists who don't believe in Jesus Christ conclude that he is the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth because of the very works that he did, the very life that he lived gives testimony that he is the Son of God. Jesus calls a third witness, and that third witness is the Father himself. Verse 37, as the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. The Father has himself borne witness about him. Well, when did the Father do that? You remember that Jesus, before he began his ministry, was baptized by John the Baptist. And it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I have well pleased. The Father gave his stamp of approval, his stamp of witness, his stamp of testimony on Jesus Christ. This is my Son whom I love, who I am well pleased with. Jesus goes on to rebuke the people for not believing. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. See, they should have known the Father's testimony simply from looking at Jesus. Because Jesus speaks the very words of the Father. Jesus said, all that the Father has given me to say, I say. There's nothing that I say that has not been given to me by the Father. So to hear Jesus is to hear the Father speaking, but they're not hearing. And indeed, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's being. Remember the Apostle Philip that said, show us the Father, Jesus, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't you believe that you have seen the Father? For I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles of themselves. The Father testifies that Jesus is who he says he is, but the people refuse his testimony. The final witness that Jesus calls are the scriptures themselves. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying is all of the scriptures, all of this book point to Jesus Christ. Remember that story in the road to Emmaus when the post-resurrected Jesus Christ meets those two downcast disciples and they they're, don't understand what's going on? And Jesus says to them, how foolish and slow of heart to believe 
And it says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is on the page of all of the scriptures. See, Jesus is the better temple, the place where we can meet God. Jesus is the better sacrifice, the one that is enough for all of our sins for eternity. Jesus is the better priest, the one who represents us to God. Jesus is the better prophet. He's the one that represents God to us. All of the scriptures point to Jesus Christ and testify to him as the son of God. Jesus said in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. I appreciate the end of the book of John, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 38, who says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The scriptures are constantly pointing and giving evidence and testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. The only conclusion that we can draw is that there's ample testimony, ample evidence given by the scriptures, by the acts of Jesus, by John the Baptist, by uh, that, that Jesus is who he says he is. I don't know if you know the name Bertrand Russell or not. Bertrand Russell was an eminent atheist and skeptic who refused to believe that Jesus was the Christ. And they asked him one time, they said, Bertrand, if there is God, and if you're wrong about all this, and you get to heaven, if you can ask God one question or make one statement, what statement would you make? And Bertrand Russell said, I would make the statement, you have not given us enough evidence. But the truth of the matter is he has. He has given us enough evidence, so we must believe. On the basis of looking at this wonderful life of Jesus Christ, the life that he lived, dying and rising from the dead, resurrecting, we must believe in the person of Jesus Christ. On the evidence and the basis of the scriptures, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Estimations state that over five to seven billion copies of the Bible have been sold since the printing press was invented by Johannes Gutenberg in 1440. There are 80 million scriptures, Bibles, a year that are printed. How can this be the best book, uh, you know, the number one bestseller? Because it bears testimony to Jesus Christ. No one ever lived a life and died and rose again like Jesus Christ. So believe in him, who he said he was, and put your trust in him. Well, this gets me to my second point, the purpose of these witnesses. Jesus said in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, the purpose of the witnesses is not simply so that you would acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Even the demons acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. But rather, so that you would come to him to have life. And what does it mean to come to him to have life? 
See, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be made right with God. To be in a right relationship with God is eternal life. John 17, 3 put it this way. Now, this is eternal life, that you may be knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. See, when mankind, the misery of mankind, his record, all mankind sinned and fell in the garden, a curse was placed upon mankind. And he was separated from God, that he would no longer be in fellowship and communion, that God put his stamp of disapproval on humanity. And that led to spiritual death, a separation from God that ultimately leads to physical death. But God in Jesus Christ has put a plan in place to reverse the curse. Jesus lived a perfect life and died as a substitute for our sins so that we could come to Jesus Christ and we could have our sins washed away and we could live in perfect communion and harmony with God the Father. And you see, reconciliation leads to resurrection. We were not meant to die and to stay dead. We were meant to be immortal creatures. And those who believe in Jesus Christ, even though they die, shall live again at the resurrection of all things. Jesus is life. The result of believing in the witnesses and the testimony of Christ is that we can have life now because we can have peace with God. We can have joy of knowing that God gives his approval and loves us and considers us part of his family. We can experience the blessing of God as he works in our lives to make all things good as we have communion with him on a daily basis through prayer. We can receive life now and life in the future, the resurrection of the dead, for he is life. But these people that Jesus is speaking to, we see that they, verse 40, refuse to come to him that they may have life. See, the issue is not of belief. The issue is of will. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They want anything else but Jesus Christ. Notice, you do not have his word abiding in you. In other words, you may have my words, but you don't have the word himself. You don't have Jesus Christ. And why do they not come? Verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. They don't love God. They don't want him. And so it doesn't matter how many witnesses Jesus calls. John 3.19 puts it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Now what scares me the most about these people is that they're religious people. They're the kind of people that would show up to church. Notice he says, you diligently studied the scriptures. They're diligently studying the scriptures, and yet they're refusing to come to Jesus Christ to have life. I had the opportunity several years ago to go to Israel, uh, which is a fantastic uh, experience uh, to see the gospel come alive. And one of the places I got to go was the Western Wall. They know it's the Western Wall of the Temple. 
and it's the place where Jews come to pray. And it was so interesting as I went there to the Western Wall, there were, there were rows and rows of, of Jews set up and they had the particular hats. They were the most uh, religious Jews, the Hasidic Jews, and they had the scriptures uh, set on a table and they were sitting in front and they were reading. And as they were reading, they, they, would, they would have this particular motion. And I watched them as they read the scriptures intently and carefully. They would be there from morning all the way until evening, reading the scriptures. And yet these are the very scriptures that testify about Jesus Christ. So religious, and yet so far from the truth. Brothers and sisters, let that not be us. Let us not be those that come and diligently study the scriptures, yet refuse to come to Jesus Christ to have life. 1 John 5.11, which we read earlier, says it this way, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this eternal life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So are you looking for life? It's not found out there in the world. No amount of money will provide it for you. It doesn't matter how popular you get at your school, at your college, in your community. You won't find it in popularity. You won't find it in beauty. You won't find it in the absence of conflict in your life. You won't even find it by simply studying the Bible because it is found in Jesus Christ. So come to him to have life. Say to him, you are the one that I am looking for. You are the life for me. And what you will experience is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I like what Jesus says in verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, the truth of the matter, my friends, is we need God's glory. We need God to put his hand on us and to say, I approve of this one. This one is my child in whom I am well pleased. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile us to the Father so that we would be made children of God. We need the glory of God desperately. Do you have it? Have you given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus came to bring the glory of God and place it on your shoulders. This brings me to my final point, the alternative to not believing the witnesses, to refusing to come to Jesus Christ to have life. Jesus leaves these people with a warning in verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. See, these people, like the Jews at the Western Wall, are putting their hopes on obeying the law. 
They're not trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to deliver them. They're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their own righteousness, the good works and the good things that they do. They have no need of Jesus or anyone. But the problem is no one can obey the law entirely. Indeed, the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And we know that the law is summed up with the two commandments, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Can any of us stand before God and to say, we have lived such a life? No one can. As Galatians 3.24 says, for the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm not going to accuse you. Moses, the one on whom you have your hopes set, he is the one who will accuse you to the Father. Why does Jesus not accuse? Well, because his primary purpose is to come to save, not to condemn. Well, fast forward, and the world seems to have no need of Jesus Christ. It trusts in its own goodness. If you go up to nine out of ten people on the street and ask them why they're going to heaven, they're simply going to say this, because I'm a good person. But there is no one righteous, not one. And that day will come like a thief in the night in which they will stand before the judgment seat. And Moses will accuse them, for they have not lived a perfect life. But if you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you need not fear the future. You can live with no fear because there is no accusation at the judgment of all things for the people of God. There's only blessing. There's only commendation. There's only bestowal of glory. So make your decision. Believe the testimony and the witness. Come to Jesus Christ to have life. Say to yourself and to your God, my life is in Jesus Christ. For it is in him that we find life. It is in him that we find hope. It is him, in him that we find encouragement when life is difficult. Because we know how this story ends, don't we? God is orchestrating all things. And God is always on time. And his judgments are always just. So we need not fear. Instead, we can live with joy, peace, blessing, and hope. Believe the testimony of the scriptures, of John the Baptist, of Moses, of the life of Jesus Christ. He is the one that you are looking for. You will never find another one like him. And he is all that you need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who has life and that we can come to you for you are a living God and we can have peace and blessing and understanding and comfort in knowing that you bring the glory of God to rest on our shoulders. I pray that if there is anyone here who is 
within uh, the, the reach of my voice, that they would bow their knee, that they would give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ, the one who brings life from death. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.